Hello everyone, and welcome back to Return to the Realm, a rereader's podcast for the Realm of the Elderling series by Robin Hobb. I'm Caillou, here with Alex and Leah, and today we're going to be doing chapters 15 through 19 of Ship of Magic. Or we might not get through all of that because this is the section where things start happening, and you'll know if we didn't get through all of that because you'll see it in the episode title. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so far, most of what we've done in like the first, like, uh, I think it's like three episodes we've recorded so far, has been all of like the setup for the characters' motivations and them leaving on their individual quests. And this is when shit actually starts happening, basically. Um, but we filled up two hours like each episode for the last three, so I shudder to think what's going to happen this time. I know, it's going to be wild. Did we mention this was spoilers all? We didn't. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, this is a spoilers all podcast, so if you, and that includes not only the Liveship Traders trilogy, but every other series in the Realm of the Elderlings, uh, I don't know what you would call it, 16 book chronicle. Um, so if you haven't finished all of them, do that and then come back, or if you don't care about spoilers, you can stick on with us. But yeah. New readers beware. Mm-hmm. Especially this part, because there's, there's so much, like little foreshadowing or like callbacks or yeah there, there's a lot going on i have a lot to say about a lot of things we're gonna be at least me is gonna be talking about amber slash ghoul a lot so same mm-hmm. yeah i just soak in every amber section because like i need that <laughs> i know it's like crumbs leading <laughs> back to pits mm-hmm. yes <laughs> And I'll talk more about this when we get there, but I think seeing seeing Amber from Paragon's perspective is so cool because I feel like because Paragon isn't like distracted by like how Amber like looks, you get like a lot more like straight to the core of who Amber is, and it's so revealing as like, yeah, okay, this is I can tell who this is totally. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm excited. But yeah, okay, let's start off. Chapter 15, Negotiations. And also, uh, I didn't realize last time that there were, like, seasons that this book was divided into. So this is also the last chapter of Midsummer before we move into Autumn. So, so so much happens this chapter. I actually, uh, just to make sure I kept track of all of the perspectives, I wrote a little tracker. So we have... Winfro, then Althea, then Ronica, then Kefria, then back to Ronica, and then finally with the Tangle. So, I didn't realize how many happened in this chapter. Oh yeah, the, it's just all over the place. So this chapter seemed like it is kind of a shorter chapter. I feel, and then it has so many different perspectives. And I think the next chapter is more than double the length and has only a handful. Well, the next one has the next chapter is like over fifty pages. I remember because I I always like look to see. I usually read a chapter a day, and I'll like look ahead and see how long it is. And I was like, "Holy shit!" Yes, <laughs> I was stressed when I was reading this. I was yeah. reading it in the car, and I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm never gonna finish." <laughs> it's like mostly Althea, I think. Yeah. Too. Well, and there's also the big ass Wintro section at the end that I hate. <clears throat> Same. Where Windrow's just, like, wandering around the city, like, this place oh. sucks. I don't want to fight a bear. Not listening to everybody that, like, warns him. Mm-hmm. I 
remember the first time I read that, I was so frustrated. I was like, just go back to the ship, you idiot. Everybody told you it wasn't safe. And then you're like, why are people being mean to me? I'm just a little priest boy and sailor. Well, okay, on, but they were being dicks. They're like, oh, you're a sailor, which means you're bad and you shouldn't be here. The... No, I hated that. They were being dicks, but like... It annoyed me that everybody was like, be careful, be careful, like, it's not safe, we're not liked here, and then he just, like, wanders off without any... Well, but he, he does it because... Traveler he... in me was like, ugh, heed people's warnings. Fair, but I guess he immediately realizes, he's like, oh, it's my fault, why, everyone warned me, why did I do yeah. that? And he didn't do it because he was selfish, he was like, he, he was... Yeah, and he was he was feeling sorry for Mild because Mild wanted to go off and do his own thing. Well, and I think he felt safer because he had Efren's like memory of this island, and it seemed much more friendly from Efren's memories. Or beautiful, yeah. it is now. Yeah, and it seems like he thought he was going to be okay because of that connection or something. I don't know. Yeah, okay. Before we get there, um, in this chapter, Wintro is still sad. Um, this chapter starts off with uh, Wintro basically being like, I've gotten pushed around by Torg so much, I've just come to accept it. And we, I think this is the first time we meet Mild, who is former ship's boy before Wintro, and who's like, dog, just stop letting him push you around. You're, you're not winning a moral victory by doing that. You're just, you're actually showing everyone that you're easy to push around. Um. Mild also like makes a joke, being like, someday someone's gonna push Torg over the side, and maybe it'll be me. And it's like obviously a funny joke. And Wintro's like, I'm so much better than you. I would never murder no. Torg. I know it's so annoying. I laughed out loud when Mild was like, he added it pleasantly that it might be him to kill him. I laughed. I thought that was so funny. I think Mild is so funny. But yeah, Winter needs I to take remember. it. <clears throat> I think he might die. I think when... he dies, and I'm like sad about it. I know. When I think when Kenneth takes over yeah, or something, I remember being sad. I feel like something happens like during the storm. You know when they're that well, is like, that huge storm? Like, crack his head or something. I don't remember, but something There's... happens then, and he does become a goner. I feel like I just remember like Winter like stumbling on his dead body, and it's just like, oh, damn. Oh, Mild's dead. Yeah, it's not gonna go well for him. Mm -hmm. Um, but look, okay. In Winter's defense, I think that like. He's starting to understand that he needs to adapt to survive. Like, the, he, there's a thing where he's talking about, like, um, he gets, like, okay, I need to fa feign subser subservience to Torg, and that doesn't, like, hurt my dignity at all. It's just something I'm doing in order to survive. But, like, he's not understanding that he needs to, like, extend that philosophy to everything else. And Mild is like, just don't let him push you around. You're not, yeah. But, and, like... I don't blame Wintrow for, like, not understanding the humor of a culture that he has not been a part of since he was, like, two or whatever. Like, it, it's annoying, and it's like, 
you're such like a wet blanket, but I get it. And there's also like, I think, I don't know if it's this chapter or next chapter, but there's a part where he's like talking, he like even wonders like, am I like too sensitive? He's like, my, has my conscience become so tender that it like comes between me and my friend, or like not my friend, my like fellow people. So I think he does that when he's like forgiving the day at yeah. night. Mm -hmm. So like, even, like I said, like, I think this was like last episode, even though like, I think Winter and Altia can be annoying, I have a lot more patience for them than other characters because I feel like they're actively trying to grow. But yeah, this is me just swooping in as the Winter Defense Squad. I am starting to like him and Althea so much more now. I think that they were annoying at first, but now they're actually starting to grow and learn and change, and that makes me enjoy them so much more. I feel like they're coming out of their Malta phase very quickly, and the other guys did not before. Mm -hmm. And like speaking of Malta phase like we do have a Malta chapter this time I think it's really interesting to see how like all three of them are uniquely stubborn and like wanting to carve out a life of their own in their own way mm -hmm. like the, on a first read they seem like so different you're like these guys are so from the same fucking family but like there's like that core motivation I, I love that Yeah, it's interesting to me how much my perspective about them changes on a reread because I feel like now I can see more of like the Vestrit stubborn in all of them. And like before I was like, how are Winter and, Mal Winter and Malta even from the fam same family? But they are so like all, all the Vestrits are so similar. They just yeah. have like, something different that they're clinging to. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also because they, they like frame Wintrow or like people seeing Wintrow as being passive, right? Which is very different mm -hmm. from the act of Altia and, and Malta. But it's just that like he has his own conviction and that just causes him to act in that way. He just, his conviction is just directed in a different way. Yeah. There was one thing that I noticed at the beginning before even the section with Mild. Wintro is talking about, he's like thinking about escaping and stuff. And he says that the monks would change his name and place him elsewhere where his father would never find him. Do you really think that the monks would do that? Because I feel like while they would like sympathize and empathize with how he like everything that he's going through they would say that like that's the path that saw chose for him and he should kind of go back to that life and do what he must mm -hmm. yeah that's probably true because isn't one of saw's principles like listening to your parents or obeying your parents or something mm -hmm. so they'd probably be like well you're still under your parents authority or whatever so fuck yourself i feel like they would help him find meaning in the way that his life is going instead of like changing that path i could see bernadol helping him because of that personal connection 
I also don't think that the priest would stand for like the abuse that Kyle voiced on. Like, I think they would be like, well, you do need to experience the world, but Kyle is an asshole. But I don't think they would go so far as like putting him in witness protection. <laughs> like, I think Same. that that's just like Wintrow fantasizing. Yeah, that's just childish hope. Yeah, I agree. Witness protection. <laughs> Speaking of Kyle, um, there was something I picked out on this read that I think you mentioned in your notes too, Alex, but there's a part where he's talking to Kefri and he's like, I recall you as you were when you were a girl. Consider how long it took me to awaken you to a woman's feelings. Not all men have that patience. And I was like, did Kyle groom Kefria? I had the same thought. And I feel like that makes me have a little bit more sympathy for her because people that have been groomed um, usually have a harder time like learning how to think for themselves because they're like manipulated at such a young age and taught like think the thoughts that I have or like I'm the one in charge, blah, blah, blah. I know so, best. Yeah. So I think that makes some things make some things about her make more sense if you have that perspective. Definitely, yeah. I don't know if it's in this. No, it's the next chapter. I have a lot of things to say about both of their parenting in the next chapter, I think, or the chapter after that, but I fucking hate Kyle still. He sucks. And the fact that he went behind Kefria's back to give Malta the money to make her own dress, like, she said, let's be a united front, and he said, yeah, okay, but, like, actually not really, no thanks. Mm-hmm. Fucking hate him. I, he 100% yeah. did that just to spite her. Yeah. yeah. He's a puke. Yeah. Also, like, Kefria in this chapter finally starts, like, <laughs> kind of opening her eyes to how shitty he is, which is satisfying, but at the same time, it's kind of annoying because it's like, I'm sorry, but this should have happened when he punched your son in the face in front of you and knocked him out cold for literally just, like, voicing an opinion. I know, what the actual fuck? The fact that it comes just from him, like, saying something that puts their courtship in a different light instead of him knocking out their kid is like that's a very like pre-awakening malta yes like oh he ruined my memories of this and the way that i perceived this and it's all about her super self-centered yeah, both, like, Ronica and Kefria coming to realize that Kyle is a bad person, it feels so abrupt to me. It feels yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, did you not get, like, inklings of this? I feel like, and we have, like, 14 chapters or, like, 15 chapters of, like, just this setup. So I kind of I wish that, like, they'd, like, slowly become more distrusting of Kyle instead of just, like, all at once being like, huh, I guess he is a bad person. Weird. Yeah, and they seem so, like, I understand that they were only seeing him for brief glimpses of time, and he was kind of, like, reeling it in because Efren was still alive, but you'd think, like, considering that we, like, we basically never as readers see him be anything other than shit, 
so it's hard to understand how they're like, we've known him for 14 years and we trusted him enough to give him our ship yeah. when, like, he's just shit the whole time we've seen yeah. him. And not even, like, sh just shit, but he's, like, openly, like proudly shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not, yeah. like, he has no subtlety to him whatsoever. Because he doesn't think that he is shit. He, like, isn't smart enough to hide it because he genuinely thinks that he's, like, the goat. <laughs> yeah. I think something that really annoys me now thinking about it is that if Ronica, because I'm sure she had to have been thinking we need to give Kyle the ship since Efren got sick and started dying. Like once she got out of the denial phase that Efren was dying, like she went right into we have to have Kefria be in charge of everything. Why didn't they try harder to educate him about the live ship and all of the like Bangtown trader traditions if they already if she like knew that she was going to be doing that i think the because... assumption was that kyle is an outsider and kefria knows all this so she can just tell him anything that's important that's so fucking stupid they should have just kept althea because she knows how like she knows exactly what vivacia needs which is her and like family and everything and how important it is at the first like stages of life for a live ship and she knows about the freaking Rainwild traders and all of their like traditions and everything. Like it's just Ronica clearly did not think things very through. She drastically overestimated both Kefria and Kyle. Yeah. At this point, Althea is her only like capable child. Mm -hmm. And has been since the beginning. Yep. She might have been a little bit overconfident in her skills as a like sailor and stuff but like she definitely is the most confident even from the beginning mm -hmm. and i feel like even like later where she's like i was so overconfident or whatever it's like no you're like you have the skills like you not being as strong doesn't change that and even like i had that thought and then brashen immediately echoed it it's like yeah like she's doing all the work that she can do well, and she did admit that when she got tired, she did just kind of leave the task and go back to her room to do something else. Mm -hmm. But she has already learned so much more, and she had at least the basic skills and knowledge. She had more than just basic knowledge of, like, how to run a ship and everything like that. Yeah. And, like, honestly, I, I don't remember if this happens, but I feel like... Like, yeah, there's a difference between, like, going on, like, an easy merchant ship and doing the task there or, or like, working 24-7. I feel like she, she'll she definitely, like, develop the strength at, over the course of the trip. Yeah. Especially now that they, they literally have, like, they have, like, red meat from the seals or whatever. Mm -hmm. That she'll bulk you up. Yeah, she was having, like, a handful of food a day probably at most. Mm -hmm. She was, like, having she the boss scraping the bottom of the soup bowl. Mm. <laughs> I like this vaguely turnip-shaped lump. A hard ship's biscuit, too. Like, it's not going to be soft and fluffy to soak up all the moisture. She's going to have to, like, go in there with her finger and lick it all out. Mm -hmm. She also has enough self-awareness to, like, immediately realize what Kyle was right about, which says a lot about her character, because if the roles were reversed, Kyle would just lean more heavily into, like, whatever he thought originally and like nothing is his fault yeah and althea like 
turns it around and like can recognize, okay, there are some things that he was right about and I'm just going to like work extra hard to try to better myself to get over those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like that's something Wintro has too. It takes him a little bit longer to get there. But they both have kind of a similar like okay, I'm going to recognize what someone was right about and then change it instead of just like piling it and being an asshole to everybody. Yeah, and also really I'm not who I thought I was. I have to work to become that person. Mm-hmm. Which like is hard cuz having like your self-image shattered like that big blow to the ego. Um But yeah, okay. Classically, we're jumping ahead. In this chapter, yeah. Althea, I think she just goes to talk to Wintro uh before vivacia leaves and is like hey uh will you vouch for me if uh that you'll remember kyle saying that he'll give me vivacia if i have the vouch of a captain and winter is like yeah okay i guess but this doesn't sound like a good idea and althea's like okay okay thanks bye yeah she she then <clears throat> goes and does it like this house too and does the same thing she like wakes ronica mm-hmm. up in the night and it's like will you vouch for me and ronica's like sure but i have to tell you a bunch of stuff and althea just leaves that scene made me so sad because ronica's like about to sleep and she just like hears like mother or something and she's like yes my dead blood plague babies oh uh, yeah and, and she, my children had visited or they'd visited her like a bunch of times so she thought nothing of it and i was like we're just skimming over ghosts like that i know i loved it well was it like ghosts or like just trauma tm probably i I love ghosts (laughs) and i mean okay we are reading a patented fantasy series so Before we start talking all about all of that, there's one more thing about Wintro and his section that I wanted to talk about. And it also talks about, like, the monks and everything. Just because I think that all of the monks in general are a little bit more hypocritical than they, than, like, Wintro views them as. <clears throat> but he was, like, talking about how he doesn't understand the, like, teasing and everything from the sailors and everything. And he thinks... The younger boys teased and shoved one another when they first arrived, but the penchant for bullying or cruelty was swiftly returned to their parents. So that's talking about the um, kids who were sent to, like, the monasteries and stuff. I kind of disagree with the way that they handle the bullying child because, like, you would think that instead of rejecting the bullies and the kids who are cruel they would accept them and teach them ways to like work through that and like these are the kids who need the help from the monks the most and they're the ones that get turned around and sent back to the place that like fostered this negativity in them and cruelty in them 
And I'm sure that means that they are, like, not having a good home life. So you would think that the monks would accept them and help them even more. But they're like, we only want the easy children, the ones who are good. Like, that's very holier than thou, and I hate that. Even just, like, even if they were like, okay, you are too mean-spirited to be a priest, but, like, why don't you live here instead of going back home so you can try to, like, unlearn this or something? There are so many things that they could do, and they mm-hmm. just turned their back on the children that probably needed them the most, and I hated that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, like, there's, like, this tension in the priesthood between understanding humanity and trying to transcend it, and I think that this is one of the cases where, like, they choose the trying to transcend rather than just being, like, just people are going to be people let's work with that yeah it's so weird but that pissed me off Mm -hmm. and like judging kids in the first place i thought that's not really something they're supposed to be doing and they do it all the time Mm -hmm. so those monks are annoying judgmental just like wintro not gonna say anything. Not gonna say anything. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, he does, and he's getting better in this section that we read. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I think that's all I had to talk about from Wintro. I had one more thing for Wintro, where <clears throat> um, when he's talking to uh, to Vivacia, he says, it is the nature of humans that we tend to pass our pain along, as if we could get rid of it by inflicting an equal hurt on someone else. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder who this reminds me of. Cough, can it? Cough. Mm-hmm. The, both in terms of passing on his throwing all of his pain into a live ship and also inflicting countless horrors to try and run away from his past. Yeah, that's all I had for Wintro in this chapter. I guess the next thing is we kind of jumped around scenes here, but in the middle of, in between the Althea scenes, the Wintro scene, and the Kefria scene, there's a scene with Ronica where she finally meets with a Rainwild trader who's come to uh, accept the, essentially the monthly payment for the creation of the live ship. And Ronica is short. And the Rainwall Trader is like, cool. If you have uh, the money next time, we'll let you off the hook. Otherwise, we're going to yoink your child um, as the blood price for being unable to pay. Before that, there's <clears throat> one more thing for Althea. Um, it's uh, actually about Vivacia. And she says... It would be a shame if you went overboard and drowned right here on the dock. The ship, the live ship's peaceful rocking suddenly increased the tiniest of increments. And I was thinking about how, like, that could be a little bit of bold coming out, but it also could be mild, um, like, influence on Vivacia. Because in the section right before, he talks about how Torg, like, someone's going to kill Torg and throw him overboard. And the next section... Vivacia is threatening Torg to like knock him overboard. Like the ship herself is taking Miles' little words. 
not know. I didn't like put the pieces together that that happens back to back, but I love that. It just clicked with me while I was reading the notes. That's why I had to interrupt. I'm sorry. No, that's that's totally valid. Also, do we know how Torque dies? Doesn't he get like a nail? And someone dies from a head wound, and I'm just like assuming that was everybody. (laughs) But I think someone pushes him over the side, maybe. I mean, I hope I hope so because that would be a neat little bit of foreshadowing. I'm pretty sure there's like a huge fight. It's I think it's also during the the storm. Yeah, storm. And there's this huge fight between them, and I think Wintro is involved. Or, like, Wintro and Kennet or something. It's really weird. Is Torg the one that assaults the slave girl that has, like, her ankle rubbed raw from the shackles, and she, like, can't really talk because her mind is broken? I would not doubt it one bit. Because I think... Maybe Wintro like realizes he's doing that, and then when this fight happens, someone push pushes him overboard or something. Somehow Torg dies, and it's I great. Feel like Wintro also, I think Wintro is involved because I think he also like rationalizes it, and he's like, "Well, there was clearly no hope for him. Like he proved himself to be this like negative, horrible person." It's during the uprising when the slaves rise up. Because one of them kills Gantry, and then Wintrow feels guilty about being on the slave side because, like, Gantry and Miles die. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, good guys. But also people like Torg die. Which so. is not a bad thing. Right. Yeah. But oh my god, we have so much. I'm so excited. We have, like, a ton left in these books there's still so much horrible stuff that gets to happen to these characters yay (laughs) i do feel bad for all of them but i am so excited to like get through it all it's gonna be good i feel like all of this really horrible stuff doesn't hurt as badly as like everything that happened with fitz just because it was like so concentrated and it was just him and we're experiencing it like one-on-one with him no one like fully dies. Yeah. Or and no one has to be revived. Yeah. Right. Um I would say like of these characters, I think Althea probably has it the worst because she like thinks that everyone dies and everyone gaslights her about terrible stuff happening to her. And yeah. but Malta has it pretty bad too, but Malta could have been worse. Definitely. Like, he manages to avoid some pretty bad stuff. Yeah. I, I think the way yeah. I feel about it is like, I feel like lots of the stuff that happens in this series just feels like pointless to me, and that makes it just feels frustrating. Not pointless in the sense of like, from a like, writing perspective, but pointless in the sense of like, bad things happen to people and, there's, and we can't control it, and it sucks. Well, like, in Fitz's books, it's it feels like. I can at least see like the through line and I can see like and it and like he like grows from it and like it and like stuff happens. Like I, I can understand like the cause, effect, and then consequence. Well sometimes stuff just happens to people in the series and I'm like, well, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we also are constantly getting the message from the fool that like if things didn't happen a certain way, 
everything worked out mm-hmm. yeah so it's yeah. like oh if chivalry like hadn't abandoned you you would have died as a kid or like all the bad stuff that happens it's like oh this is because something worse could have happened mm-hmm. whereas in this book it's just like yeah shit sucks mm-hmm. and there's no reason for it you know yeah which is well i'll have to see if this holds up but i think that is kind of my biggest gripe with the trilogy as a whole is not even like the bad stuff happening but just the idea that like in the end it doesn't feel like there's a message it's just like stuff happens damn and i'm like huh yeah i think that it more is like the big picture and the like the dragons coming back and Tintaglia being released is really what is the meaning behind the book. So like all of the shitty things that happen to the characters like lead to Tintaglia. Are in service but I think that's the only like really big good thing that gets out probably. Well, and they do all end up, like, it's not where they originally wanted to, but for the most part, they all get, like, a relatively happy ending. Like, Wintro's happy with where he ends up. Althea and Brashen get Paragon, and they're together, and Malta and Rain end up together. Like, it all works out for them, just not in the way that they initially were clinging to at the beginning. Yeah. I do like that aspect of it. It's like the an inversion of a fairy tale. Or not right. inversion, yeah. but like a twist on it. Anyway, speaking of fairy tales, uh, honestly, I think that the Rainwell traders would be better perceived if they didn't have this weird-ass blood price, I will take your firstborn child thing going on. Like, yeah. And it's so weird because like, after reading Rainwilds and also like the latter half of this trilogy, it's like they're just normal people. They're just like... Yeah. And it's, like, in this series, they're built up to be, like, such weirdos, such freaks, just, like, mysterious warlocks out in the wo- out in the woods doing their, like, dragon magic. They're so mystical in this trilogy. And it is sad because, like, the reason they are seen as so mystical is literally just because if they didn't, like, only show up under cover of darkness and, like, only allow little lights and have their veils on and stuff they'd get like harassed (laughs) and accosted in big town but like it is funny when you reread it and you're like yeah these are just literally like regular people and they're all mystical and like if you can't pay me i'll take your daughter and it's kind of funny because like the whole thing is like the rainwald people are like there are that way because of the influence of dragons or like the way that dragons used to live there. And I feel like that is a very dragon thing to do. Be like, pay me my gold or I will take your daughter. Yar. Well, and they do really need like, I think what she called it was like fresh or new blood or something. Because if they're all like marrying each other, eventually you're going to, get down to like cousins and stuff and so they need like yeah it's like they already got enough deformities going on we don't we don't need right like it's not like they have people migrating to the rain wilds like they're having a great time Mm. like they're very desperate for people i think 
And it makes you wonder why would you even stay there in the first place? I think it was basically like that is the only land we have and we're here now. I think it also could be that like they don't like when they are in the Rainwilds, they're all like normal kind of to each other. But if they were to move anywhere else to try and get out of the Rainwild area and like find a better place for their family they would all be seen as freaks and so it's like kind of too late for them so they want to have kids but then you can't send your kids down the river by themselves so it's kind of just this endless cycle of like we're still stuck here and it's also i think none of them want to leave the i don't remember what the name of the elderling city there is but yeah trahog trahog I always call it Tree Hog. <laughs> tree tree hog. hog. Like is that, that the name of the Elderling City or just the. the oh, the, no, um, I think that's the name of the Elderling city. Elderling one is Kelsingra. No, no, no. The, the, the one that's like oh, under. The one that they, right. Do oh, we get a name for it or is it just sort of like the place where Tintaglia came from with the rooster stuff? We might stuff? get a name. I think that Rain can like read the Elderling writing or something like that. And that they do have a name for it, but I just don't remember it. I wish you just stopped there. Like, Rain can read. <laughs> yeah. He is literate. Yes. Unlike us, obviously. Um, I think my last note for this chapter was just going back to Kyle and Kefria talking. Um, some choice quotes from that section. Uh, I sense a jealousy in you, dear, that she vies for my attention as well as the attentions of young men. And it's like, what is the comparison here? Why are you saying these in the same breath? This is some weirdo-ass shit. So fucking gross. And also like, let your daughter grow up and be both an ornament and a credit to you. And it's like, Ayo? I fucking hated that. He's like, oh, it's not your fault that you're backward and stupid. And you're jealous of your twelve-year-old. I know. He actually says backwards. Like I could, I couldn't. Like I, I could see, like unironically calling like your partner shy. But how do you, without a trace of like self-awareness, call someone backwards and not think they're gonna hate you? Right. <laughs> like, like he, he genuinely thinks that Kefri is just so, like, so stupid that she just like won't understand or care. But yeah, I think. That was my last note for this chapter. Yeah, I don't have any other notes for this one. I think that I had a couple. Oh, no, I was just proud that fucking Kefria finally started waking up to stupid-ass Kyle. And she said he was just a man like any other man. No, he was stupider than most. (laughs) I loved that. Fucking finally. This is what I've been waiting for. Stupid it, hoe, bitch. And it feels so abrupt after she was like, Kyle knows best. I yeah. know, it was really annoying. It does feel really abrupt, especially considering she stood by him when he fucking punched out her son. Like, I just can't get over that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she just cried over him. That pissed me off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were, like, revved up against Kefria. Why? Well, I... 
hated her. I hated her more than Kyle and Kenneth at that section. I thought yeah. she was the actual worst. Now that she, I remember, like, now that I realized that she was groomed, like, I understand why she acted the way she did, but it still pissed me off, like, a lot. Yeah. It's not excusable, but it's understandable. Yeah. Yep. I also think that it is fitting that we have, like, the section with Kefria is, like, squished in between two sections with Ronica. And the first section of Ronica is her, um, like, worrying about how Kefria would handle the Rainwild visitors and how she would just, like, she, Ronica realized that she would just hand it off to Kyle and Kyle would fuck everything up. And then we have Kefria and Kefria awakens to how shitty Kyle is. And then we go back to Ronica. And I think that that's kind of fitting. Yeah, ever since, I don't remember uh, which of you pointed it out, but like, ever since one of y'all pointed out that like, the point of view ordering like matters or like has like meaning, I've just been like, eagle-eyeing that every chapter it comes up. Yeah, it's wild how much... I did not realize that. It's so wild how much it plays into it. It's kind of... Like, every time I read it, I will find something different in each section that, like, connects to another one. And I just love that. Oh, okay, wait. Actually, I have one more note, but it's actually your note, Alex, and I'm stealing it because it's a quote that I liked. Um, That's fine. All those years, she had been married to a fantasy, not a real person. She had imagined a husband to herself, a tender, loving, laughing man who only stayed away so many months because he must, and she had put Kyle's face on her creation. And I feel like this one is like, like, there's all the stuff about her realizing Kyle's a bad person, but I think this one was like, uniquely like, relatable or poignant, because like, I feel like We've all done this at one time or another where there's someone that we care about. And even as they... Either they started out as a bad person or they grow into someone different. But you have, like, this image of their best traits or this idea of them. And you see... Th and your image of them is the idea, not who they actually are. Yeah. I think we all do this to some extent. Mm -hmm. mm. It's especially easy to do with significant others. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Uh, do we have anything else for this chapter? I don't. Okay. Me neither. So let's move into Autumn. Chapter 16, New Roles. A.K.A. the 50-page long chapter. <laughs> this was so long, but I have very few notes for it. Yeah, I didn't really have any notes because most of it was just like monotony of Alfia being on the hunting boat and skinning seals. It's Alfia turning her brain off so she doesn't have to realize like all the shitty things she's going through at the moment. Yeah, I didn't. I did notice though there was a whole part about like where she stayed with Amber, and Amber taught her how to be a boy, like how to walk like a man, and how to. Um, <clears throat> like change out her clothes when she had her period so no one would notice and it was like like obviously the fool is adept at being gender fluid and mastering 
how to move like each gender and stuff, but there's a lot that they know specifically about how to pretend to be male, which I thought was interesting. I know. I noticed that too. I was like, wow, what the heck? The, the detail. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Amber, the first quote that I have is from Althea thinking, and she's like, now it seemed to her that perhaps Amber had actually been intent on propelling her into danger. And I'm like, that sounds very familiar. Yeah. Hmm. I have a habit. <laughs> yeah, of just pushing everyone into the danger themselves. They're like, you can do this. Like, oh, you're my catalyst? How would you like uh, despair? Pain and suffering. If those sound oh. right for you, call today. <laughs> right? I remember on my first read of this book when um, Althea like almost gets swept overboard in the storm and someone saves her and then it's Brashen. I remember being like, oh my god, they're in the same ship. Like, I just didn't know why she like did she know immediately that it was him because she had to have recognized his voice right so i just wasn't sure why she didn't say it was brash and, and like oh like i can't believe brash and saving my life again i think she was probably disoriented she, she was just swept it. overboard <laughs> she had water yeah, in her true. ears and that's he true. was like yelling at her because he thought that she was the ship. Yeah, I bet she'd never really heard that, or at least gotten the full force of that from Brashton before. Mm -hmm. Right. Alright, that's fine. Anyways, I love how, like, in most other contexts, like, Brashton saving Althea, it would be, like, crazy romantic, and it would be, like, or just, like, oh, you saved me, but in, but because of, like, how it happens, it's just, like, Brashton's like, oh my fucking god, you idiot, and Althea's like, I I was, what was I supposed to do? It's just, yeah. it's just like, come on now. Yeah. Yeah, I think we, I, I, at least for me, I talked about all the, all the stuff I wanted to talk about when we were discussing it last chapter, basically. I think I have two little things left, but that's it. The first one was, I think this is a quote from Althea, but I don't know because I didn't write it down. But somebody says, I mean, do you think Vivacia would welcome strangers aboard her and accept them running her? Not much. And I'm like just thinking to myself, uh, yeah, she already has with Kyle and the like willy-nilly crew that he picked and is having run her right now so she's already done it and she's gonna have to do it again mm -hmm. i think it's like yeah it's like the difference between like accepting as in like yeah i like this versus well i guess i gotta do this but it's still like either way she's accepting it she's not throwing them overboard and she literally accepts strangers coming aboard her and running her when Kenneth takes over. Mm. So, like, this is looking back at Kyle and also foreshadowing for Kenneth. Mm -hmm. The foreshadowing that Kenneth's going to take over is, like, 
really heavy because they go back and forth between like Kenneth searching for a live ship and Vivacia being unhappy mm-hmm. and miserable. So it's like, yeah, you could see it coming from a mile away, and that's probably intentional because any if like we as readers can see it coming from a mile away, any Bingtown trader worth their stock would be able to see it coming from a mile away if they would have had somebody on the ship that knew anything. But, like, the only family member, the only trader they have is Wintrow. And yeah. Wintrow wasn't raised in that environment, so he doesn't know. And he can't do anything about the way that Kyle's using Vivacia. So it just, like, further shows how blind Kyle is. And speaking of, like, how yeah. Kyle uses Vivacia, like, even Mild in this section is like, yeah, pirates have been going after slavers. They'll save us some trouble. And it's like, anyways, let's get some slaves on us. And it's like, oh my god. Yep. I feel like they all think that Vivacia being a live ship is protection enough from all of these things. And it's very much not. I mean, it's because I mean, no one's ever captured a live ship in history, so I don't blame them. I feel like, though, it's more like their belief in live ships, like, in general, is, like, what makes them feel protected. But also, half the crew are, like, scared or, like, kind of disgusted by Vivacia, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, they make little signs to, like, ward off evil when she talks to them or when she, like, does something. They don't understand her at all. Yeah. I feel like even Mild doesn't. And you would think that him being aboard her with Efren, he would understand a little bit more. But I don't think that he really does. No. And I think that that's probably partially because I'm sure this is his first live ship that he's been on and the whole time that Efren was sailing, she hadn't been quickened. So, like, none of them really knew what to expect from that. Speaking of when Kyle takes over, it is really funny that Comfrey rubs the inside of his mug with his dick. I loved that. I loved that. I thought that was really good. And I love that this is when Wintro gets a sense of humor. Yes. But then he, like, feels bad about laughing about it later, and it's like, oh my god, just get over it. It's fine. Kyle sucks anyways. (laughs) I like that that's, like, the first little bit of connection between some of the sailors, and especially Mild and Wintro that we get to see too. Mm -hmm. And I feel like after that joke where he realizes like the things that the people do aren't for harm, like it's as like a bonding thing almost, that helps him like be more accepting and be more open to the jest that the rest of the sailors have and it makes him much more comfortable around them and make them almost accept him until the incident. 
Yeah, it actually just makes me think, going back to when the priests were removing people who were bullying people, like, it it could be that they just, like, overjudged and, like, took any sort of teasing or, like, that kind of thing as bullying. Yeah. And then, like, that's why Wintrow is, like, just completely deprived of this experience of how do I joke with, with friend? Yeah, they could have been too sensitive about it. I didn't even think about that. I think my only other note for this chapter is about the the dragon, like the rock that's called the dragon. Um, I was wondering if it was a stone dragon. And if so, if it was like one of the six duchies ones, or if it was something made like way before, and then the water just like got to the point where it was submerged, because it has an arrow, or like the story is that it got taken down by an arrow, right? Which is what mm -hmm. happens to, that's how Swift kills the stone dragon the white lady makes, right? Mm -hmm shoots it in the eye right so yeah i didn't even realize that stone dragons could be killed like i must have just forgotten all of that stuff i think tawny man is like this distant memory of mine like i don't recall any of tawny man aside from like the fool and night i died so i forgot that stone dragons could die because i was like what is this like fossilized dragon or something what's going on uh, it's a stone dragon well it could also just be a rock so i don't do so because it is though i feel like they talk, they talk about, about, about it later right grabbing the arrow or something i'm it like i think to a lot i i feel like i feel like we get like some confirmation of what it like i feel like when they're on paragon they like sail past or something and Amber's like says something cryptic about it. Maybe not, but like I feel like there's we'll like look out for it. Yeah, I feel like I would be like I would have remembered this way more going into like Rain Miles or whatever, like trying to find an explanation for it if it wasn't explained somewhere here. Or I just forgot it. I don't know. Because this is like such a big like like glowing neon sign of like dragon, dragon. Mm-hmm. I thought that, like, there's some situation with Rain where he's on this. Like, I think, like, Tintaglia brings him to this island because there's a lot of, like, meat or something, and he sees the stone dragon or something like that. I can't remember. That sounds, that that sounds familiar. Yeah, like, she, she's, like, super hungry. Be, yeah. Because... Where do where do they fly to? Are they they're just looking for Malta? Like 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 Malta like yeah. spills a message to Rain somehow and he's like, We gotta go looking for her and I don't know exactly where she is, but I know she's like somewhere here. Something happened. I can't remember. I thought that like Tintaglio was injured. And that's how they ended up together in the first place, and she's just like flying him somewhere. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. I remember it's like 
the Malta gets like kidnapped by the the Satrap, or not not Satrap. She's with the Satrap. They get kidnapped by the Chalcedians. She like sleeps and like, sk- like she thinks she's gonna die or something. So she like sk- she like manages to skill a message to Rain because everyone already thinks she's dead, and Rain is just like crazy with like we gotta go save her, and basically is like Tintaglia. I I, she freed you. You gotta come help me, homie. We're gonna scour the seas for her. I think you're right. She might have also gotten injured at some point, but yeah, I just don't remember. But yeah, so who wants to talk about the last part of this chapter? (laughs) My only note is I feel so bad for Wintro, and he just has one shit time after another on Crust, and it just gets worse from here. I... That last scene has me so mad. Like, okay, the the first the start of it are like whatever, fine. He should have listened to the other sailors. He shouldn't have like gone into town without a buddy system, whatever. The bear fighting thing, though. Oh my god! Winter was like, guys, it's rigged. The, and they're like, yeah, it's rigged. That's why you should let us fight the bear again. Winter, go fight the bear. You know, you won't the fight hell? the bear, you fucking pussy. That's why Mild got hurt. And it's like, this yeah. is like the, the toxicest, to- the toxicest toxic masculinity I've ever seen. Just... I felt so bad for the bear too. I was like, if Fitz was here, this would never stand. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I felt so bad because you know that bear gets like abused or something. Yeah. Because they even mentioned like the fighting rings that Regal had. Mm-hmm. Same. Like, Wintrow even says, like, the trainer must have been doing something to irritate the bear before he sends him to fight Mild. Yep. I think this is also the first section that we see Sindon in. And then we also see it in the next chapter as well. Mm-hmm. And it starts to play a bigger role in everything. Yeah. Because Miles, high. Right? Yeah. Uh, it feels weird that this is the first time we've heard of Sindon. I know, right? It seems like it should have shown up sooner, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I it's like it's such like... a brashen thing in my mind. Same. I think it's like mentioned in passing at an earlier point, but like just that it's not allowed on the ship or something like that. Mm-hmm. No I think one... you're right. But no I one... think wasn't even it. mentioned by name, maybe, but it's one of those things where, like, Efren didn't... Oh, no, I think it was Kenneth. Like, one of them didn't allow anyone to even come back to the ship drunk or high, and they had to, like, sleep it off and then come back. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been Efren, because I think Brashen was thinking about it when he was on Paragon, but I might be mistaken. This might just no, be another, I like, that. I associate Brashen with Sindon, so I think it's him. But yeah. I think that you're right, though. But yeah, my final note for the chapter is just Winter deserves better. They, yeah. They fuck he out. freaking does. Yeah. He does. He deserves better shipmates. He deserves better parents. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't believe that like the reason they get on his ass is because he didn't fight a bear. 
It's I a know. bear. Like, are, are, are the bear, are the bears in Bingtown just weaker than the bears we know of? Because like, uh, they're just all drunk and stupid. Yeah. And was and literally the whole time, like, why would I fight a bear? <laughs> I'm a person. Which was like, I'm going back to the ship. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mild is like, he's got that like high strength and is just like crushing Wintrow's wrist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, okay. We good to move to the next chapter? Yes. Okay. Chapter 17, Kenneth's Whore. So Kenneth is back in Divi Town after a, a very successful uh, spate of pirating. Um, there was uh, the original ship that he stole, <clears throat> the slaver ship that he got from Astray or whatever the name of the place was. But Askew? Askew, that's it. And in the meantime, he's, he has uh, captured three more ships, and I think it was, like, raided seven others or something. So, like, he, he, he's really on a successful streak. Um, mm-hmm. And news of his ambitions to become Pirate King have followed him home, or followed him back to port. Um... For as despicable as Kenneth is, I was very impressed with his skills of observation because the second he enters Bethel's house, he knows that something's up. Yeah. And it reminded me of Shade. Like, the way that Shade can immediately detect. And sometimes Fitz can do it. If Fitz is, like, on his game, he can do it. But if Fitz is thinking too hard about it, then he's a clueless idiot. Yeah. But I was very impressed that he, like, right off the bat knew, and then he ends up taking out, like... Ten people, or six people. Yeah. Basically, Edel helps him, or Edda helps him with, like, the last two, but he takes out everyone else by himself, pretty much. I think that Kenneth is so fucking funny in this chapter. I think that he is hilarious. As much as I hate Kenneth, I have to give it to him. He's fucking funny sometimes. <laughs> yeah, he is funny sometimes. Like, he cracked me up a couple times. I love how, like, all... I feel Because I also, like, had a note where I'm like, man, I, I don't like Kenneth, but that man sure can fight. Like, all three of us had notes where it's like, Kenneth sucks. However... <laughs> We have to give it to him in some form or another. We have to give credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. He's good at observing yeah. and fighting, and he has funny thoughts sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first quote that I have is Kenneth saying to, I think himself, whores make it all so much simpler. And it's kind of funny that he starts off that this chapter is thinking that and then ends up taking Etta back to his ship at the end of this. And he's like, now I'm stuck with a woman. He basically spends the entire time that she's on board being annoyed with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Meanwhile, Etta's like, wow, you're so cool, Kenneth. Thank you so much. Yeah. You're giving me the opportunity to read and live my own life. And Kenneth's like, you're, in, in, you're inconvenient. I don't like you. Get out of my space. I need my own room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's like the funny where he's like, 
<laughs> as long as you have to be on my ship, can you please just like take a bath? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, my favorite part is like Kenneth being everyone the first time they have to live with a roommate. Just like, oh, I have no privacy. Like, yeah. I'm just trying to like sit here and 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 think over my charts. is the continuous thread of like Kenneth being awful and everyone exalting him gets annoying through this book because everyone thinks he's like the bee's knees and he's really awful so anyways what I was saying before Craig was a dick um <clears throat> it's annoying but I understand specifically why Etta feels the way she feels about him because to her he's like rescued her from living in this whorehouse that she obviously like didn't really want to live in mm -hmm. and then like gives her a life where she doesn't have to do that and she's supported and she can just like be on her own ship doing whatever and then Wintro like teaches her how to read and stuff like he gives her a life and opportunity that she never would have been able to have. Mm. Yeah. It's just because we're in his head, we know he did, he didn't, she does not, he did not want to do any of that. Right. It's all like coincidence or happenstance or like he does it very regretfully. Like he doesn't want her to be on the ship, but he's like, I can't, I need to make sure that no one perceives that I have a weakness. Even though he doesn't care about her, he just doesn't want people to think that he could care about her. Well, he I mean, I, th I think it's more more at that point. Like, people know that he cares about her. He just doesn't want them to be able to get at him through her like they did tonight. Like, if if she's on my ship, then I then, like, I'm safe. I kind of wonder why he doesn't just kill her. Honestly. I think, I think that the reason he doesn't form a connection with her, like a deeper connection, is because he's, like, forged. And I think that he could have, like, started to care for her more if he wasn't. And maybe there's, like, something deep within him that, like, Cares a little bit. Yeah, and that's why he's like, he won't admit it to himself, so he doesn't admit it to us, and he like writes off taking her in only as I need to like perceive this, like I need to give off this air of strength and she's like the weakest point right now, and she's a vulnerability. Like there's a line where it's like, it was meant to distract him and it almost worked. It was distressing. No, it angered him. And this read to me as, like, him feeling something, and then the forged part coming in and being, like, feeling stuff. You yeah. can't do that. Away Definitely. with you. I took it as a way to, like, almost trick the reader. Because that first line, it was distressing. No, it angered him. You, like, think, oh, he, like, actually cares about something. And then he's, like, this clean and pleasant chamber, the comparative comparative safety of Bettel's house had been taken away. He'd never be able to relax in this room again. And it's like, you think that you're finally seeing a glimpse of humanity. And then he's just like, now I can't relax in here. 
Well, I think also we're seeing, like, the trauma that Kenneth had. Like, he felt safe here, and now that it's been threatened, he, like, doesn't have that safe space anymore. And he, like, needs that in order to be able to, like, relax and, like, open up a little bit and enjoy himself. Like, last time he was here with Etta, it was all about, like, feeling in control. And mm -hmm. at a time when he was feeling, like, helpless or whatever, so... Yeah. The, I think it could be both. It could be, like, tricking the reader and also mm -hmm. being, like, Kenneth tricking himself a little bit. Like, it's... It, it's, like... He's not... He doesn't actually have that humanity in him anymore, but the reason for that is because he subsumes it every time it threatens to come up so right. i think that was all i had for this chapter mm -hmm. i have a couple more um i just had to laugh at this one and it was saying to himself, having begun talking to himself and now seemed he could not stop. Perhaps it was a side effect of random philanthropy. And I was just <laughs> cracking up. I thought that was so funny. Mm -hmm. And then my last one is, I think that it's so interesting that both Kenneth and Etta are continually described as like cat-like or very feline. I think that is really cool. Mm -hmm. And something that I want to like track throughout the books too. Yeah, I wonder if that comes up, especially when there's the conflict between Etta and Bolt for Kenneth's affections, like, because dragons are supposed to be very cat-like, I wonder if there's something there in terms of how they would do that, but yeah. Also, I love, like, this is, every chapter of this section, like, something big happens. Like, there's the whole, like, fight, fight at Bettle's, like, Bettle's house, the the next chapter is like Malta going to the ball. The the previous chapter we had like the bear fighting or not and then the chapter nineteen we have like Wintrow's hand finger getting chopped off, like now that things have gotten started, they're like really going, going, going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very fat it speeds up so much mm -hmm. now, I think. After the like million pages of just kind of sitting around and booping back and forth between annoyances. Yeah, just like, Kyle! And I was like, we only get to do that, like, 25% of the time. Yeah. I haven't even made a farty mouth sound because of Kyle yet. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, we get to do that at the end of the section. Yeah. He just hasn't been around. Or actually, yeah. we, could, we could do it at the start of the next chapter. Uh, Malta, yeah. because in uh, this chapter, uh, Malta ends up going to what ball is it? Like the summer ball or some ball? I think the fall best. harvest. Yeah. Oh yeah, the harvest. Yeah, it's um, and she's not supposed to go because her because Veronica and Kefri are both like Efren died. Let's show some respect. Also, you're super young and not ready to be presenting yourself. Uh, because you aren't like worldwise yet, but uh, the goddamn it, Kyle left her with four gold pieces to make a dress, so she's gonna figure it out and go there herself. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that warrants a farty mouth sound for Kyle. <laughs> Malta is definitely still annoying on a reread, but I'm less annoyed with her than I was on my first read because I feel like now I can appreciate a little bit more that she is literally just a product of her environment. Like she is screaming for somebody to like engage her and treat her as like the smart young person that she is. And they're just continuously babying her and trying to control her. It's like only natural that she would rebel, especially when she has her father on this pedestal because of like the way her mother exalts him. And then he is going against and like giving her money and indulging her. It's like, there's no, with that combination, there's no other way that Malta would act. Yeah. And it's like, it feels like Veronica and Kefri are like, they're just looking at the end result, which is her behavior, and not understanding that like, she's acting like that because of like these societal forces or the fact that like her friend, like, like she even tells her mom, like Delo Trell gets to go to this thing with, and it's like, Okay, and, and, like, understand how, like, where Malta's motivations are coming from. And they just don't engage with that at all. There's, like, yeah, you're a stupid yeah. child. And it's, like, yes, she is stupid child. But she is also, like, a stupid child who has a personality and motivations and friends and all of these things that, like, contribute to this behavior. And the frustrating part about it is they don't explain to her why they're so upset and why, like all of this is like such a big deal like they don't sit her down and say you the way that you're dressed right now is like ronica tries to she does it out of anger and i think that if she did it and like sat malta down and tried to explain to her and make her understand it would have been so much better but they still treat her like a child they, I mean, they just say that it. she looks like a whore and they don't like yeah. which is like and that's not like yeah it should be more like this is dangerous you, like it, it's demeaning to yourself and it will attract attention from predatory people yeah if they explained it to her like an adult then i think they would have gotten a different response because the problem is like it's like that kid at school that's really naughty, but it's because they're too smart and they, like, are bored by the subject material. Mm -hmm. That's like Malta, but in her entire life. Yeah, like, when she was, like, for the last year while Grandfather was dying, the house had been the most boring place on Earth, which... Mm -hmm. like, Understandable. All, yeah, but also, like, psychopath line. <laughs> like, yeah. just... Yeah. that It really reminded me, actually, of... Uh, from Avatar The Last Airbender, um, when Ozla's like, uh, Grandpa's gonna die soon. Maybe someone should just, like, take his place. Yes. <laughs> it's just like... I think, though, with Malta, because Efren is always gone, she didn't grow up really knowing him or being close to him. The only times when he would come back, he would spend most of his time with Ronica shut in their bedroom, like, doing all the things they missed. And... Mm -hmm he barely got to bond with any of them. I think that if Wintro would still there, he would be the one that would remember Efren the most. But even then, like, it's just these short periodic visits. So it's not 
like she really got to develop a strong connection with him. Which kind of makes it weird that she names her son Fran after him. But, you know. Yeah, I also thought that was weird in Rainwilds. I think it was more to just, like, honor the... Honor the memory... Like, not memory, but, like, honor the fact that he built up this family, I guess. Which is a little weird, but yeah. I also think maybe somebody got their wires crossed when they were writing that one because there are several times in rain wilds where multiple is described as like Alfie's sister yes and like ronica's daughter so yeah kefria just gets like tossed to the wayside somebody should have read live ships before they edited that book yeah the same thing happens in tawny man which is why I was confused for a long time when reading Live Ships for the first time, because Malta is described as Aldia's sister. I think that it also could be, like, switching publishers, because I think that Hobb has switched publishers a couple of times, and that also, like, I'm sure the editors don't have time to reread all the books. So if she got confused a little bit, then the editor wouldn't know any better to switch it. It'd make more sense for Malta to name her child Fran if Efren was her father. Mm-hmm. Instead of fucking Boyo. Could Boyo have just been Efren? Please. Wait, who is Boyo? Alison Gretchen's son. Oh yeah, we, we talked hate, about this. I, <laughs> I hate Boyo's name so much. I can't believe it's his real name. Can we just all pretend that Boyo has a different name? I mean, I straight we we had a like we had like an like a, an hour long conversation about this last time, and I completely forgot it. So I'm already doing my best. I'm doing my best to. <laughs> okay, Boyo's new name is Gone, like Paragon. Gone. Is he named after himself? That's what oh we're doing. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm just gonna. Now I'm just gonna imagine him looking like. There's Fist. this no. There's this anime called Hunter x Hunter, and the main character is called Gone. I'm just gonna imagine <laughs> just like a, a tiny version of him walking around. The thing that I have a problem with is like, what happens when Boyo becomes a man? Like, do Mano. they change? <laughs> Mano? <laughs> like, I don't think any of it makes sense. No, it's it the worst name. Is it even Boyo? spelled Boyo? Is it spelled B O Y O? No, it's I'm spelled pretty sure. B-O-Y-O. Isn't there like an ex- exclamation Dash. point? There's, I feel like every time there's an exclamation point, like that's attached onto his name. His name does not have an exclamation point. <laughs> I feel like it should at this point. It's B O Y dash O. So it's, fucking weird. It's the worst name in this entire series. Revoking parental know. rights for for Brashen and Althea. You know how like yeah. you know how like it's illegal to like name kids Pikachu in Japan. They should have the same thing in in like Bing Town. It's illegal yeah. to have your live ships name your kids. Oh, did Paragon name? Yes. Paragon! They use their child's name, and they were like, this reads, let's do it. Paragon, oh who they've, like, had to call back for madness several times, <laughs> and who has, like, 17 different personalities, and is constantly, like, they're constantly like, don't upset Paragon, or he might flip over and kill us all. Yeah, no, but he's a f- okay. He, by that point in the series, he's a friend. <laughs> we we like we like Paragon. We stand Paragon. But he, he is not capable of naming a child. 
even in um, the last trilogy, when they ride Paragon, they all, like, only... Or when... Um, maybe it's in Rainwilds, like, Elise's on Paragon or something. They're all, like... Did you upset Paragon? Like, they're all kind of tiptoeing around him. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a friend, but you he's still, like... He's still an unstable friend. Yes. But a friend nonetheless. Uh, yeah, I, I do remember Elise, like, doing something to annoy Paragon. There's something to upset him, yeah. And then Althea's like, did you upset the ship? Mm-hmm. But I feel like the way they said it is more like, oh, oh poor uncle is sulking again kind of thing. Yeah, I don't think that they're concerned that he's going to, like, pull a Paragon and flip the ship or anything. Poor but Paragon. I'm sure, like, like, Paragon at that point is family to them. So it would be like, don't upset my family, you stranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Back to Malta. Because we're in her chapter. Mm -hmm. I would love to see how she really looked when she got herself ready. Because, like, if I think about a child getting access to makeup for the first time and, like, trying to do their own makeup and then, like, getting themselves ready, like, I bet she looked hilarious. Like, I bet she looked so ridiculous. And, like, outlining the, like tips of her ears and her earlobes with like Like lipstick i think that like putting it on and then like blending it out so that it was a light like blushy color would have been cute but i'm pretty sure she just like painted red on her ears and i'm like that must look so fucking weird i'm gonna do that for our live show wear my makeup breakdown style (laughs) Well, actually, it's it's Jamila style. She just oh, stole. Oh yeah, Jamila, Jamila whore style. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that the like innocence of Malta really shows when she is talking to the first dressmaker, and the dressmaker's like, "Oh, like you'll look like a trollop if I do all of the stuff that you want," and she is like. She shakes her head and she tries to recall what a trollop flower looks like. Yeah, that, that part had me and, like, dying. I had it highlighted from my previous read. Like, oh god. <laughs> like, I, I, I had, I think I have one page in this entire book bookmarked, and it's just that and that line highlighted. Poor Malta. But I think it really shows that, like, she is still a child and she doesn't understand. And she's very innocent with all yeah, these Yeah, it's things. like when you're a kid and you see people in, like, tabloids dressed a certain way. And you're like, I'm dressed like that. And you don't understand that they're adults and you're not. Yeah. And then, like, most reasonable parents explain, like, those are adults and you are not. And yeah. Veronica and Kefri are just like, no. Yeah, and instead Kefri is just like, but too much curiosity and eagerness. Well, it could lead you down the same path as your aunt Althea, and it's like, yeah, Althea who like got assaulted, and then Kefri was like victim blaming her. Mm-hmm. And Malta doesn't even know that she's just like, "What do you mean? No. You, you, I'm gonna just become like I think I know Aunt Althea is annoying, but like but whatever, just, like, whatever, mom. Whatever she wants, yeah. yeah. She doesn't offer her any explanation or any logic. I really noticed 
the parallels in parenting style that Wintro or that Kyle has for Wintro and Kefria has for Malta. It seems like they're both very shitty parents to those children. And like Kefria is actually cruel to Malta. Like she says at the beginning of this chapter, your father's not here. She had pointed out coldly, I am. Like and she had never spoken to Malta like that before. Like it takes Malta back. And it's just like, do not take your anger and frustration out on like about your husband out on your child. Like that is not the way to react. And I think that Kyle might have been right that there's like some tension and like jealousy or some weird stuff going on with Kefria when it comes to Malta because like she should not like that's still your baby. Why are you acting like that towards her? And like becoming an enemy of hers. Like who's the support each other? Like all it's the women really in that family alienate each other really bad. I know. And then they have to like and then when big towns it takes the literal city falling apart for them to be like, Okay, we have to come together as a family now. Yeah. I just do not like the way that Kefria does any of that. I think that she had no right to act that way and snap at Malta like that because Malta is still a child and she needs to like teach and guide her and she's like not she's being petty and like weird and I just don't like any of that I don't know if I buy the like jealousy thing but I think that there's definitely an element of like I need to be exerting the control that I didn't feel I had while your father was here type thing yeah there's something weird going on and i just don't like like even in the sections before when malta comes in and is talking to kyle kefria gets mad and she's like i'm going to like make her pay i'm gonna punish her and makes her do all the embroidery like she's like you need to finish your embroidery for the whole like by the end of the day and like well, I, I think malta's I... fault that yeah. kyle is he takes everything out on Malta. Well, I, I think yeah, it's honestly was... because Malta reminds her of Kyle because, like, she, she's Kyle's favorite child, and like, and like, and Kyle, was... whenever she wants to get something, Kyle, she just like bypasses her mom and goes to Kyle because she knows that Kyle has the power. I think that kind of makes her maybe not like jealous, but it makes her like ashamed that her daughter realizes that she doesn't have any power or influence. Yeah. It makes her feel like she's out of control and she needs some semblance of it. She, well, it's dumb because Kyle's like pitting them against each other intentionally. And it works. And it works. And it's like dumb that it works because Kefri is an adult and it shouldn't, like, obviously it's going to work on the kid because she's a kid. But Kefri's a grown up. Like, that shouldn't work on a grown up. Yeah, but I Kefria mean, is what Malta would have grown up into. So I think that's why it works on her. If Kefria had, like, been raised differently or, like, something, I think it's it would If she was any other adult, I don't think it would have worked. We talked about, like, her being groomed before, and I think that Kyle deliberately tried to make her into someone who is, like, subservient, essentially. So... And Kyle is pitting them against each other so that Malta will feel a loyalty and, like, 
affection for him only so that she will only listen to him and will always take his side so if something happens where the family is divided he doesn't have to worry about her siding with Kefria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Honestly, for, for Kyle accusing Kefria of being jealous of Malta, you know that if, like, Malta, like, was dating someone while Kyle was there, Kyle would be the type to, like, try to, like, punch out, like, her boyfriend. Yeah. And Kefria would probably be one of those, like, weird mother-in-laws that are obsessed with their son if someone tried to date Wintro. Yes. She didn't I say she would be the one to wear a wedding dress to the wedding. Yes, you did. You're right. You would. Uh, <laughs> you would, you guys. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. It's kind of a miracle that Selden turns out as well as he does, but that's probably because the Rainwild traders raise him. It's also because no one gives a shit about Selden. Like, like at this point, no one's raising Selden. Selden's like no one in the family is like look. Selden could literally have like walked out of the house and died. Like, Selden could have been kidnapped and no one would have noticed for like days. They'd be like, it's quieter in here. Selden does get kidnapped later on. Yeah, goes and lives with the um. Rain's family. Yeah, I was gonna say, does he live with Malta in Rain then? I think it does it happen after that or does does he get taken as like the blood sacrifice or whatever? I think they both go together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Selden is the one that shows her how to get into the city. Mm-hmm. And it collapses on her because him and his yeah. friends were playing there. Yes, you're right, you're right. Anyways, in this chapter... I do, I have one more thing. We can finish this chapter, I think. But I do have one more thing. I think that it's so much easier... Like, I don't even find Malta really that annoying this time. Because I, like... I see everything from her side, and I'm not even annoyed. I'm like all the people are letting her down and not helping her so it's not even malta it's like i feel so bad for malta this go round i'm annoyed at like the adults more than i'm annoyed at her same i hope that everyone gets to reread these books and they realize that like malta's actually not that bad and i she does get worse later on with like being disobedient and stuff but like i wonder if we're going to read that differently, too. I'm sure we will. Especially, like, I know I will, because I will understand that her and Rain are endgame. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that'll be better for me. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how I will view, because I remember the first time I was, like, really annoyed by her, like, creating this love triangle with Sir, Sir Wynn and uh, Rain. But oh. I wonder if I'll read that differently this time. Also, I freaking, I forgot that Dello and them were Trells. Like, I read the last name and didn't link it to Brashen. Like, this whole chapter. And then I went back and was like, oh, shit. Like, that's Brashen's family. Oh, yeah. And, like, Brad Brashen is like, oh, my younger brother Serwin's going to inherit the fortune. He says that, like, a bunch of times. Yeah. And I didn't, like, put it together that it's the same Serwin. Same. 
Bello also, I didn't men- I forgot to mention this earlier, but like the whole reason Malta wants to get a dress is because she thinks that Dello gets to get a dress. And, and Dello does. lied. Like Dello thought that Malta wasn't gonna go to the ball, so she wouldn't know what Dello wore. So Dello was like, I get to wear a gown. And then Dello shows up in like a kid dress. Obviously. And poor Malta is dressed like a prostitute and doesn't even know that she should be embarrassed with her outfit. Right. It's, 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 right. This chapter is just like a vicious takedown of like just culture and society encouraging like young girls to aspire to like womanhood slash sexuality before they actually know what any of that means. Yeah. Yep. That's all I have for this chapter. Me too. My. I just had a thing where there's, in addition to all that, there's also a thing where, like, uh, Malta's like, it was only too funny, of course, that a slave should know such things. Dello and Malta giggled about it often in the brief times they had together. And it's like, this is what growing up in a society where slavery is normalized does to you. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I read this chapter, I was just, like, cringing and, like, oh, Malta, you suck. And the, se- and the second time through, it's, uh, like, this chapter's just going through and, like, categorizing how Big Town as a society is just really, really, really shit on multiple angles. Mm-hmm. I also don't understand why, like, Ronica doesn't start paying Rach. Like, she could just make her not a slave, but she chooses to continue to, like, have her serve as a slave instead of just a servant. It's funny because she, she was, like... pay her. What'd you say, Leah? I don't think she can afford to pay her. She could do something. She could say, like, you're Literally, free. like, let her free. Yeah, yeah, she could be like, you're free now. Yeah. She, she, so like, she, like, gets on Devad's ass for being, like, oh, Devad is, like, too scared to do whatever. But, Veronica, you're not doing anything either. I know, Veronica's it's so weird. Just mm-hmm. Oh, actually, speaking of Devad, uh, I think that... Devad has like some like lots of serious fucked up flaws, but I think that what makes him interesting is that he thinks that he's someone who wants to do the right thing, but is too weak in the sense of like he has no impulse control uh, to do the right thing always. He he's always like so like there are times like here where he'll do the right thing and like take Malta home, but there's other times where he'll just like basically like be like I don't want to or. I think this is better. Like, he'll let his greed or, like, fear take, like, take him over. So. Yeah. Um. I think that's all I have for this chapter. Okay. I think I had one more note where I think it's interesting how Kefria grew up and set her goals, which is, I need someone to take care of me so I don't end up overworked like my mom, which is like her goals were set based on how she observed her mom living. And Malta's goal, which is, I don't want to be stuck into a marriage uh, too early um, and not have like freedom to like explore the world or have mobility uh, that being single affords is also a goal that is made by observing her mom, Kefria. Yeah. 
it's kind of interesting how like generationally they see kind of the flaws in how their parents live they kind of get the right lesson and then they apply it in the worst way possible the worst way the most wrong way for sure mm-hmm. okay that's all i had for that chapter do we have time for the last chapter here I don't think that I do because I know that I'll have so much to talk about, even though I had, like, minor notes. Okay, we can wrap up the show here then and then do chapter 19 next time. Yeah, that works. Okay. So with that, we are going to be wrapping up the show now. We'll uh, do chapters 19 through 23 next time. So we'll be... uh, We'll just fold that into the five chapters for next time. But yeah, we had a lot to talk about, and slightly shorter time but i hope you i think we have a lot more interesting things to talk about so it all works out we did a lot less complaining about kyle in this section (laughs) i think yeah strange when when he doesn't show up that thank god sometimes i just need a break from him Mm -hmm. yeah we'll be getting a few extended breaks from him Until next time, see y'all.